0: The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. When they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Um, this is actually the the, the fifth of uh, the warning passages, and actually the, the the warning started with the passage we looked at last week with verse eighteen, uh, and we'll kind of catch up with that in a minute. But I just like to. S- help us think a little bit about how much we like grumbling and complaining. Does anybody here like grumbling and complaining? Of course, nobody wants to admit that, right? But actually, it's a kind of a serious part of human nature that we uh, we love to grumble and complain. And one of the best examples of this, and it actually ties in with the book of Hebrews, is uh, the, the book of Hebrews is quite closely connected with Exodus. And it really is remarkable, the Exodus generation... How much they grumbled and complained, right? And they, uh, you know, God had brought them out of cruel bondage and and oppression in Egypt, where life was really hard for them, and they were slaves, they had no freedom, they were constantly being uh, tormented by Pharaoh. And God redeems them, He rescues them, He brings them out miraculously out of that bondage. And what's the first thing they do? They complain, right? And I just wonder, you know, the, the, the thing with our, our day and age is now we, we can complain on a global scale because we have social media to help us with our complaining. And like you look through a lot of what gets posted and, and really it's just rumbling and complaining. And I just wonder what it would have been like for the, Egypt, uh, the Israelites back then if they had had, you know, Twitter or Facebook. Like hashtag, I miss, I miss leeks and onions, right? Hashtag, Moses is lame. Uh... I don't know, hashtag the desert sucks. I don't know, I don't know what they would have said. But <clears throat> um, that's the kind of world we live in where we love to complain and now we can do it in a, such a public and global way and everybody is just thrilled with our grumbling and complaining, right? Um, and you know, we see in this passage that that's really not the, how it should be for us. And, and the writer of Hebrews is actually writing to a group of people who were doing just this. Uh, things that got hard for them following Jesus had not been quite what they expected, and it had brought upon them persecution and trouble and hardship. And they were complaining uh, about about being Christians, and they were they were much like their their forefathers. They were saying, "We want to go back," and literally they were they were tempted and being tempted to go back to the temple, the law of Moses, and the old covenant. And so he's writing this book to urge them and to warn them, actually, the dangers and risks of turning back away from the new covenant in Christ and going back to the old covenant under Moses. That it was, in fact, not okay to go back and worship at the temple and offer uh, the blood of bulls and goats and lambs for their sins. Right? That uh, To do that would be extremely serious. Um and and of course that's probably not where we are we're probably not tempted to go back to the temple mostly because it got destroyed in 70 AD and we'll talk a little bit about that but there is still in our lives uh, this human nature this bent that we want to complain and we um, much like the Israelites or like the Hebrews can find ourselves uh, living a life of uh, very much lacking in thankfulness and so uh, he's going to help us think about how we can fix that in our life as we look through this passage And uh, it starts with the warning, but it ends with encouragement about how we should really be much more thankful. So let's let's walk through this. Uh, First thing he does is he really is giving a warning here. And in verse 25, we really see the heart of that warning. Uh, And it it is an urgent warning. Uh, He says, "...see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking." Right? Warning, danger, pay attention, in other words, to what is being spoken. And the, the word see to it here is an imperative, it's a command. It has the idea of to guard or to, uh, to be very careful about uh, listening and paying attention to the one who is speaking. So who is it who is speaking here? Who is this one that he's, he's talking about who's speaking? Well, he, he really introduces this idea all the way back to the very first words of the book. All the way back in chapter 1, it says this. Long ago, verse 1, chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our forefathers by the prophets. But in these last days, in other words, now, God has spoken to us by his Son. And and so that's how he starts off the book. And he comes back to that. He says, we need to be paying attention to what God has spoken This one who has spoken to us through his Son. And of course, Jesus is both the messenger, but he's also the message. Jesus came, and in his life and everything he did, all that he taught and spoke, and ultimately in giving his life, he was communicating God's message of salvation for us. All that God wants to do in us and through us and for us. Uh, But not only did he communicate that message, but he was actually the focal point of that message himself, in that he gave his life, he laid down himself, and as we just celebrated in communion, he became our substitute, taking our place, so that we could be saved, right? So that we could enter into salvation. And he's saying, uh, the warning here is simply, you need to pay more close attention to, to this message, to Jesus and what he's communicating uh, to us. Uh, and, in, and in fact, he also says the thing in the, in the verse right before I read it, introducing communion, it's a great verse, we come to Jesus. We ultimately come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Jesus speaks a better word. His his blood communicates, is speaking to us uh, a wealth about God's grace and what He has for us. So He's saying we need to We need to pay attention. We need to take seriously and be attentive. And the danger here was not for the Hebrews that they would reject the message because they didn't believe it. I don't think that was their danger. That they would like, well, I don't believe that. I don't think that's true. That was not the problem. The problem is that they would fail to take it seriously and give full attention to it because they were distracted looking in other places. They were looking at their problems and they were so caught up in their lives and their current situation that they weren't looking deeply into the full depth of this message. And uh, this message, uh, Jesus coming and giving his life and dying for us and rising again and seated at the right hand of God as our high priest, all that gets summarized in the gospel by other writers, not so much by the writer of Hebrews, but it's summarized in the term gospel. When we talk about the gospel, we're talking about the saving work and message message of God and Jesus. And the gospel means what? Good news, right? It is a message. It is, the, it is the good news about what Jesus has done for us. But as we talk about this and as we think through kind of the themes of the book of Hebrews, it's important to understand what we mean by the gospel. And there, there could actually be three different... Versions of the gospel. There's probably more than that, actually. But uh, I just want to talk about three possible versions of the gospel that they were not getting, right? That they were misunderstanding or were not paying attention because they had the wrong version. The first version is the gospel of saving myself. Okay, this is the person who might have been showing up at their worship services, who had come and was listening and was hearing the message and had heard uh, how Jesus died on the cross for them and how he gave his life but they were not interested because they were believing in the gospel of saving myself this is the person who believes that they're actually a good person and I and I'm sure you have too I've talked to people uh, try to share with them the gospel and they say well I don't really think I need that because I am I am a good person and I'm like wow <laughs> I, you know I don't know how to tell you this but actually you're not as good as, as you think and, and and they failed to see both the, the perfection of God's holiness and how far we fall short of that and they also fail to see really uh, the, own, the, the inward sin, you know they've convinced themselves and everybody else on the outside that they're a good respectable person but they fail to see the depth of pride and selfishness and self-centeredness uh, that, is, that is sin and that makes us uh, rebels against God so of course those people have a problem because they're not trusting in anything Jesus did they're trusting in their own goodness Second gospel is, uh, is closer to the truth and it's what I would call the gospel of forgiveness or the gospel of sin management. And this is actually the true gospel but it is uh, an incomplete gospel. And this is probably was more a problem for the, 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 the readers of Hebrews who got this letter to start with. Um, they believed and understood that Jesus died for their sins. And that is true. Jesus did come so that we could have our sins forgiven. And the book talks about uh, that he purifies us and cleanses us and washes us so that we can be uh, without sin, without blemish. Um, but the problem with this gospel is it is, it is incomplete. Uh, and, and he says, uh, and in fact, he spends from chapter 6 through 10, and if you missed that, you can go back and re-listen. It's, it's a kind of a long journey. But he talks a lot about how they were not pressing on into maturity that they had stopped with this notion of forgiveness and they weren't interested in the rest of what Jesus had done for them. And that's really what he's talking about here in his warning. You're not paying attention to the rest of the story, the rest of the message, the rest that Jesus has done for you. And so we come to the end of the third gospel, the true and complete gospel, which is is the gospel of the kingdom. And those are words that actually Jesus used. Jesus called it the gospel of the kingdom, not so much the gospel of forgiveness. Now he does talk about uh, the gospel of repentance unto forgiveness, but Jesus actually calls it the gospel of the kingdom. And you might ask, well, what's the difference between the gospel of forgiveness and the gospel of the kingdom? Well, the main difference there's a lot of differences, and again, we could go back through chapter six through ten. We won't, but but here, in a nutshell, is some of the most significant differences. The problem with the gospel of forgiveness is that it is mostly about getting into heaven when we die. Right? That's what it's about. That uh, sin is keeping me out of heaven. And so, praise God, uh, he sent his son Jesus to die for me. And if I trust in him, my, my, I, I get a free ticket into heaven when I die. Right? And that's, that's, that's kind of the extent of it. And for a, a lot of my early years as a Christian, I was happy with that. Right, Remember in middle school, learning that Jesus died for my sins, and I was like, that's good, I'm going to get into heaven, I want that ticket. But the gospel of the kingdom, as Jesus described it, and as the author of Hebrews describes it, is a kingdom that is here and now and present. Right, and That's what he's been talking about. You have access into the very presence of God. The verse before this, he says, you have uh, access, you have come to Mount Zion. Remember we talked about this last Sunday, not future tense, but past tense. We've come to Mount Zion, the city of God, the, the heavenly Jerusalem that we are now residents and participants in the eternal realm of heaven. Um, And the difference between those two Gospels is the the second Gospel, the Gospel of Forgiveness, has very little to do with my daily life here and now. Yeah, someday I'm going to be forgiven, I'm going to get to go to heaven, but it really doesn't impact anything about my life here and now today. But the Gospel of the Kingdom is all about doing life in God's presence with Him here and now, day by day, moment by moment, where it should be impacting everything about how we live and do life. And so that's what he's talking about here. He says you need to pay attention to this gospel. You got the first part. Now you need to dig deeper into all the things I've been talking about that Jesus accomplished for us through his death on the cross. He has opened the way for us through the curtain into the very presence of God, not future tense, It's something God, Jesus, has already obtained for us. So are you walking in that? Are you entering into kingdom life, uh, doing life in God's presence, in participation with Him, moment by moment, living by His strength and His power? Um, And he says, says, it it is a warning, and he says to them, uh, if you're failing to listen, if you're failing to get this and understand this, he says, um, how then will you escape Sorry, back up. Uh, See that you you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven? He's saying, look, there there is there are consequences to not getting this. Like if you stop with the well, the first gospel, (laughs) the gospel of saving myself, serious consequences. You'll be judged. And on the basis of your works, you will get what you deserve. And it's not good. You will fall under God's wrath and judgment. And the fact that you were in church all those years, or that you identified yourself as a Christian, maybe even like sang worship songs really loud. If you weren't trusting Jesus to save you, he will say, Depart from me, I never knew you. So there's serious consequences. But also, he's writing this, and as we've argued throughout this book, in all five warning passages, the target audience that he's speaking to are believers. He's not warning the unsaved, uh, although there's warning there for that, but he's, he's warning those who are part of the community, who have put their faith in Christ, who are following him, and he's saying to them, look, if you turn back, specifically in this context, he's saying, if you turn back and go back to temple worship, you are facing serious judgment. God will bring problems on you. He's not talking about losing salvation. But he's saying that it will cost you. And and you may not go to hell for eternity, but you may experience hell on earth. And in fact, for, for the Jews, this was very likely written before the destruction of the temple. And for those people who went back to Judaism and who identified with the temple and the old covenant, they did experience hell on earth. And uh, the writings that come out of what happened when the Romans invaded Jerusalem and destroyed it and burned the temple was horrible. Thousands of Jews, thousands, maybe tens of thousands, were crucified on crosses. They crucified so many Jews that they ran out of trees. And many others were just beaten to death. It was horrible, right? So the warning is real. Now, uh, thankfully, God in His goodness, probably if you... Just give up and say, "Well, you know, I don't really care. I'm, I'm okay with the second gospel. The gospel of, grace, of forgiveness is good enough for me." Uh, I pray that you know you don't meet the fate of the Jews that read this letter. But he warns us that there are consequences. Right? We will miss out on rewards and blessings, and and that God will bring us under His discipline. First part of chapter 12. That's what he talks about. That the hardship and difficulty Jesus, that God can bring into our life, if we fail to listen, is serious. Right? And so He's warning them: be be careful, be take this seriously. Uh, then His warning kind of moves on to another level, and it becomes a little more positive, actually. Uh, that that we we are recipients of an unshakable kingdom, and He says He says that. Uh, um, at that time, back in the days of, of Moses, when uh, which is the analogy he's drawing here between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion, he said, when they received uh, the law and the old covenant, he says, um, at that time, God's voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, and he, he quotes here from Haggai chapter 2, verse 6, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Uh, this phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of, of things that are shaken, that is, things that are created, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. And here he is talking about uh, the shaking of heaven and earth, uh, and it speaks of God's future judgment when he will one day uh, come back and he is going to uh, deal with the final curse of sin over all creation, and he is going to destroy all that's created. He's going to vaporize it. He created it in a word and in a word he is going to speak it out of existence. Everything we see, everything uh, to the to the depths of space is going to be vaporized into nothing. And he's going to shake it. He's going to shake the heavens so that what 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 is shakable, created world, uh, will be destroyed so that what will be left is that which is unshakable and eternal. Uh, so, so the... The point he's making here is that this world is scheduled for demolition. I remember uh, several years ago, we were looking for a new office for for CCF and for the foundation, for the Family Connection Foundation, because we had outgrown our old offices, so we needed a new office. So we were looking and searching high and low, and we found the most amazing building. A brand new building, had never been used, um, and they told us, we will give it to you at a super good rate, and you can rent as much of it as you want. And uh, and this is like a dream come true, right? Well, like, yeah, too good to be true. And I had actually heard rumors that this building was going to be demolished. And I thought, yeah, I don't want to take, and I wasn't sure if the rumors were true, but I thought, I don't want to invest all the time and energy and money and moving to a building that we're going to have to move out from sometime later because they are going to tear it down. So we didn't rent it, and sure enough, about two years later, and the building had never been rented, brand new, but apparently they built it in the wrong spot and it got completely demolished, right? Um, Here's the deal. Here's what he's talking about here. One of the reasons people grumble and complain and are so unhappy in life is because they are investing way too much time and energy and effort in a building that's going to be demolished, right? This world is going to be destroyed, And if you think about it, the things we grumble and complain about it, are we really grumbling and complaining about eternity? Like, is that what people are posting about on Facebook? Man, I just can't believe we have to spend forever in heaven. I do remember my kids, when they were little, being kind of freaked out about that. Like, forever? (laughs) Kind of troubled them. But, you know, we don't really complain about that. We're not complaining about, oh, those stupid fruit of the Spirit keep getting in the way in my life. And I keep being joyful all the time. I just hate that, right? That's not what we're complaining about. we were complaining about money and how people say things and this and that. And it's the things of this world that we love too much that really is the source of our grumbling and complaining. That was the Israelites, right? They were looking forward to the blessing that God had for them ahead. They were looking back to what they loved in their old life under the old way. And see, that's what gets us in trouble. And that's what he's talking about here. He says, why are you loving so much what is shakable, what's temporary, what's going to be destroyed? I just recently had somebody come in my office and they were, they were, they were angry. I mean, they were, just, they were just grumbling and complaining a little. They were like off the charts, angry. And as I talked to them and tried to counsel them, and, and I had actually they were a little mad at me because I had um, <laughs> I called them out for sharing their grumbling and complaining on Facebook. And I said, this this is not appropriate. That's not... Because they were really grumbling, right? And so they came into my office and they were so mad, right? And they were mad because their mission organization was, they thought, misusing money. And I don't know if they were misusing money or not, but I talked to them and I said, you know, what did God call you to do? And they were like threatening lawsuits and writing letters and they were just consumed with fighting this battle over how their mission organization was going to use some of their money. I said, you, you know, what did God call you to do? Well, I'm here to share Christ with Thai people. I said, yeah, that's right. Do that, right? Do that. And, and forget about money. Right? It's going to burn. It's all going to burn. It's not permanent. And they kinda like you know, it's like the Holy Spirit just like the lights came on. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Why am I wasting my time and energy on things that don't last? On a world that's shakable. When I could be investing in the unshakable. And the reality is the people that we invest in, those we are sharing the gospel, those we are discipling, the energy and time we are using investing in people, that is an unshakable eternal reality. And when we when we When we're busy with those things, we're not going to have time to waste complaining about the petty things that we worry about so much. Um, And and that's why faith is such a big deal. That's why all of chapter 11 is about faith. And what is faith? Faith is what? The the conviction, the confidence of things hoped for. That this gospel message is true. And that the things that... God has promised us in Jesus our realities for us. And it is the proof or the evidence of things not seen. That this unshakable world is unshakable, but it's invisible. Right? It's permanent, but we don't see it, but we're, we're in it. Right? And that's what we talked about last Sunday. We are residents of this eternal kingdom, here and now, and it's all around us and we're part of it. But we need the eyes of faith to see what we are part of. And the more we grow in faith and seeing what is ours, what we possess in Jesus, the less the things of this world will matter to us. Um, So then he, he, he finishes up this way. He says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Amen? Like, we're not receiving an old castle that's scheduled for demolition. Right? we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable. Let us And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Um, therefores in the Bible are oftentimes uh, great words because a lot of times we, we want to know, okay, there's all this great theology, all this great truth, but what difference does it make in our life? Well, the therefores oftentimes tell us what difference it makes in our life. And he says, look, because this is all true, because the message of Jesus is true, and not just for forgiveness, but that we are residents of his kingdom, that we get to live life in his presence, that we are made new creatures, that we adopted as sons, all the blessings that are ours as members of this eternal heavenly city, here and now, therefore, this is what it should do in your life. First off, it should make us Uh, be truly grateful people. The more we see that, the more we see what God has obtained for us through Jesus, uh, it should overflow our lives with a spirit of gratitude and thanksgiving. If we really get this, if we really see with the eyes of faith all that is ours, how can we not help but be extremely grateful And the fact that we're not grateful is probably proof and and witness against us that uh, we're not really getting it. That we're not really paying attention to the message like we should. That we're not really giving it the the time and effort to dig deeply into what Jesus has done for us and all that he's obtained for us. That we, we just don't get it. And so we're really not that grateful or thankful. So how do we develop more thanksgiving? Well, we we do it by by paying attention to the message, right? by digging into Scripture, and really seeing all that God has promised to give us—not just when we die, but here and now—to help us live life differently and better, and with joy and power and effectiveness. Um. And uh. And not just that it comes—not not just that it's a gift that God gave us. But, but remember, the message is Jesus himself. And even as today we stopped for a moment and we, we took the cup and the bread and we gave careful reflection to the price that Jesus paid. Right? That, uh, that this gift has been given to us, uh, true out of God's generosity, but at a price. Right? It costs God something to be generous. Like God could create mountains of gold for you and I. And I really wish he would. You know, it would make my life so much easier if he would just fill up my bank account. And God could do that with zero effort. Right? He spoke the universe into existence. He could speak into my bank account a few extra dollars. God, would you please do that? Right? If He's, if he hasn't, there's a reason. Right? But to redeem you and I, like, to pay the penalty for sin, to cleanse us, to... Purchases out of bondage to sin and death cost him dearly. Right? Jesus had to lay down his life and pour out his own blood, uh, take on um, in humility uh, the, the form of being human, and laying aside the glory of his eternal existence so that he could redeem us. But how can we contemplate those things and, and really come to grasp what Jesus did for you and I, and not be overwhelmed with amazing gratitude and thankfulness. Uh, he did it because He loves us, and because He wants us to be with Him in His kingdom. And so He says, Therefore, um, let us be grateful for receiving through the blood of Jesus a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And then he goes on and he says, And let us offer to God acceptable worship. Second thing is we should be giving uh, God our life in worship. How do we do that? Well, oftentimes we think of worship when we call what we do on Sunday morning, oftentimes we call it a worship service. And I hope and pray that's what it is. I hope when we gather that worshiping God is foremost in our purpose for being together, for being here. I'm so thankful for our worship teams and the way God just orchestrates things. That oftentimes it is, I believe, very powerful worship. Uh, but the word here for worship is not is not the singing of songs, or the gathering together in a meeting to corporately worship Him. It's the word that is used uh, throughout Hebrews uh, and and actually in the in the Old Testament in the Septuagint to speak of a priestly service in the temple. Right, when, the temple, when the priest went to the, the temple and did his duty at the temple, it was the word that's used here. It's the word that's used in Romans 12:1 one, 1, when it says, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Uh, I think the New American Standard translated it. And it's a word that really speaks of a worship that's serving. And the idea here is that worship is not just something we say with our lips or a song that we sing, but it's using our life in every way to give honor and glory to God. And the cool thing, this is two things cool about this. One is it means everything we do can be done as a gift of worship and praise to God. And that means our work, our ministry can be worshiped. But it also means our play and our enjoying life, like eating chocolate can be worshiped. Hallelujah. Praise God for that. Like after church, I'm going to Cold Stone and I'm going to worship Jesus over ice cream. Right? That's legit. Jesus, I'm I'm enjoying this for you, for your glory, and and that's how we should live life. Every thought, every word, and every action can be a gift of praise to God, because we do it to honor and worship Him. And He says that we are to to, to worship Him in a way that is acceptable. It means well pleasing. And it means that as we enjoy creation, as we enjoy our salvation, as we enjoy relationships with other people, as we enjoy God's presence, we do it as a gift of worship to Him. Saying, God, life is good and I'm enjoying it and I praise You. I give it all to You as worship. And the chief end of man is to, uh, is to worship God and enjoy Him. That's tied up with worship. The other cool thing about this is that it actually does... Um, direct how we live life. Because it is true that there are some things that are not pleasing to God. And we know there are certain things uh, that we think or that we say or that we do that we know uh, don't please Him. Uh, Our attitudes. And one of those would be grumbling and complaining uh, among other things. And so uh, giving our life to God and worship means that, that we think differently about the things we do, about the choices we make, about the words we use. Uh, that's the one I'm working on a lot lately, because a lot of times my tongue just says things, and I'm like, ah, why did I say that? So cruel, so mean, so harsh. Right? I'm trying to um, let God fill my words so that I can do them in a way that's worshipful. And we do this all uh, with, a, with reverence and awe for our God as a consuming fire. We do this uh, in the old language, fearing God. We don't like to use that word anymore. And, and it's interesting, they didn't use that. They could have. They could have used the word with fear and reverence. But we don't like to use that word anymore. And part of it is because we don't want to give the idea that we are afraid of God. And that's not what it means. But there is a sense that which God is is an awesome God, and He is a judge. He loves us and we are His children, and we never have to be afraid of Him because His hands toward His children are always loving and kind and he will discipline us but even that is in love he will never harm us as his children um, but it doesn't mean that he won't discipline us and that's his warning to, to us take this message seriously or God is a God who will discipline and, and even though his discipline is loving it may feel pretty painful when God brings hard things into our life because we are not paying attention but even more than that, the truth is that God is, is a God of love, but he is a holy God who will judge the earth. And his judgment is final and definitive, and, and he will receive some into his presence, and he will turn away those who have rejected him. Um, and it's good for us to keep that perspective, because it reminds us that we are his children not because we deserved it. We are children purely by grace. Right? And that, that fuels should fuel our thanksgiving, our gratitude, and our worship. That I deserve the punishment that fell on Jesus. And if it wasn't for His grace, right, I would endure that punishment for all eternity. For all eternity could not pay the price for my stubbornness and sin. But we've fallen under grace. Under grace. Because so here's a couple of things to practice. Uh, the chances are pretty good that, that you all sometime or other grumble and complain. And, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's optimists and there's pessimists. I'm pretty much a pessimist. Uh, you know, the, the pessimist thinks the glass is half empty. The optimist thinks the glass is half full. I'm definitely a half empty kind of guy. And so maybe I'm more prone to negative thinking. But, but most of us are oblivious to our own, our own complaining, right? And uh, the optimists think, Well, I think the glass is half full, so I'm very positive. Yeah, but the truth is you wish it was full. <laughs> and you're complaining that it's still only half full. Right? See? So take that, you optimists. Right? We can still complain. And oftentimes we're oblivious to it in our own life. Uh, so the homework is to just 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 be aware of your conversation with yourself. Right? Is your conversation with yourself focused on the, bless, the eternal blessings that we have inherited as citizens and members of the eternal heavenly realm that we enjoy in Jesus? Or are you just constantly caught up in all the stuff of this world that's about to be demolished? And complaining about it and grumbling about it. Right? The thing is, if we had a vision for what we really have in Christ, that stuff just wouldn't matter. Right? And, and and be conscious about how we can turn our grumbling into thanksgiving. How we really do have so much to be thankful for in Jesus. And and that thanksgiving should be the thing that drives our worship. The the danger in worship is that we worship out of obligation or duty. That we think it's something we're supposed to do, so we try to do it to somehow earn God's approval. That is not worship that is well-pleasing. The worship God desires is worship that comes out of thankfulness. We are so grateful for what God has done for us. We want to worship Him. right? Um, and, and, and be paying much more attention to the one who speaks the gospel of the kingdom. That's great.